0: Welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, a show about nutrition, dietitians, and their success stories. Through our conversations with nutrition leaders, we aim to inspire you, to connect you with like-minded colleagues, to innovate and push you out of your comfort zone, to create robust debate, to encourage lifelong learning, and to empower you to create more impact as a dietitian.
1: I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where you're listening today. I'm recording this from the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who are listening to us today. Welcome to our Dietitian Connection podcast. I'm Jane Winter from Dietitian Connection, and I'm also an accredited practicing dietitian. Today's podcast episode is supported by Dairy Australia. Now, the topic of food sustainability has really never been higher on our agenda. And while many of us would like to eat more sustainably, it's becoming increasingly recognized that a healthy and sustainable diet is really a complex issue to think through. In 2021, Dairy Australia co-funded a research piece with the CSIRO, which was published uh, just recently in December in the journal Foods. Today, we're going to delve into the findings of the paper and discuss the applicability to the sustainability space and to our work as dietitians. So what was the focus of this research? Well, led by Dr Brad Redoubt, the aim was to develop a tool to easily identify healthy and sustainable foods in the Australian food system. The development of the tool had two parts. Um, The first was developing a new nutrient food index that ranks foods based on their nutrient content and whether Australians are under or over consuming these nutrients. The usefulness of this um, nutrient food index, the NFI, was then demonstrated by applying it to previously developed environmental index in addition to affordability metrics. So it's a complex area, as I said, and to help us unpack all of that, my guest today is Dr. Joanna McMillan, a PhD qualified nutrition scientist and APD, and is one of Australia's most trusted health and wellbeing experts. Joanna is an adjunct senior research fellow with La Trobe University and a fellow of the Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine. In addition to being a scientist, a dietitian, she's also an author. She's a media spokesperson. And she's a proud ambassador for Diabetes Australia, Skin Health Institute and Food Bank. So welcome back to our Dietitian Connection podcast, Joanna. Always good to talk to you, Jane. Thanks for having me. So now you've done a few webinars and podcasts on the topic of sustainable diets, and it's obviously an area of great interest to you. So how did your interest come about?
2: Well, I think like most of us, you know, we've we've all become increasingly interested in what's contributing to climate change. How can we live in a more sustainable way? And of course, that starts to, to apply to diet. So as a nutrition scientist, that of course is of immediate interest to me and to, I'm sure, to every single dietitian listening. Um, but it's only over the last few years that we've started to have some really good information. And what I'm concerned about at the moment is that there's still, I mean, gosh, it's such a complex area and we'll get into some of it. But, you know, what I've learned at, at and really I've only been delving very closely into this over the last couple of years and in the last year in particular, is actually it's so complex on so many different levels and there's so much nonsense information out there or overly simplistic information out there or information that contradicts with each other. And and the papers that are coming out now often don't look at all of the same factors. And I think that's kind of confusing this space a little bit. But look, We've got the conversation underway. We'll start the paper. we'll talk about today is, I think, a really good grounding point, particularly for us here in Australia. So for us dietitians working in Australia, we need to know about local data, local eating habits, how, you know, and local environmental factors. And that's what we're starting to get. So, you know, look, I encourage all dietitians to start getting across the space and don't be scared by it and, and make sure that we're giving the right advice based on current data.
1: Yes, and as you say, we'll talk more about this piece of research, but it is nice to see something that is has an Australian focus, uh, even though I'm sure the issues are similar globally, but still it's nice to have something that's local. So, um, Joanna, you hosted one of our recent podcasts and you covered some of the complexities of defining what a healthy, sustainable diet is. Can you tell us from your experience and knowledge, how should we define a sustainable diet or a sustainable food?
2: Well, you know, when I first started looking at this space, sustainable diets were really just, everyone was only talking about greenhouse gas emissions. And I think that's why, you know, I've done some work with Dairy Australia um, and I've also done some work with Meat and Livestock Australia here and other food groups. I, um, I think everybody listening knows of my involvement with Cobham Estate. So also from the, from the the um, all, you know, olive growing, olive groves, and, and we've been doing a lot of work there on sustainability. So initially, everything that was talked about was really particularly in those arming Uh, sorry, uh, animal farming sectors really was just focusing on greenhouse gas emissions and that's an extremely narrow view that's only one aspect of the impact of a food or a farming system or a food system on on sustainability and environmental impact so what where we're at now is that we actually start having to and if you just think about any farming system just think about a basic farm you've got to think about the quality of the soil how much fertilizer is being used our pesticides and other chemicals being put on the crops or on the land um, how much water how are you getting the water? What's the irrigation? Um, uh, How often is the land being tilled? That was something I only learned uh, involved with understanding how olive groves work is understanding, oh, that's why they're so sustainable. Or one reason they're so sustainable is you're not having to till the land. That's a loss of carbon every time you're tilling the land. Then you have to think about greenhouse gas emissions. And when it comes to animals, what are the animals being fed? Where is that feed coming from? Then we start to think about how do you get the food from the farm to the supermarkets and the grocers and the stores? How do we then get it? What's wasted along the way? What's happening to the waste? How is it packaged? What are the energy consumption at every single step along that process? So I could go on and on and on, but you you start to suddenly realise, oh my goodness, this is about a lot more. And then we, uh, what's interesting about this particular paper that we'll get to is then it starts bringing into play, Oh, what about the nutrition? You know, are we we sort of trading off nutrition for sustainability? Because clearly that's not a good move. Our health and well-being and the health and well-being of our planet is one of the ultimate goals here. So we have to keep both of those in consideration. So it starts to sort of really, you know, build this sort of really big foundation of, oh my goodness, I've got to think about all of these different factors and how can we intervene every step in the way? To make sure that that we're we're meeting all of those particular needs,
1: yeah. And as dietitians, how do we communicate that easily? Because as you just said, listed about yeah. a dozen factors. How do you how do you convey that? So last year, Dietitian Connection ran a survey of our members um, around this topic of sustainability, and I thought the results were interesting, probably unsurprising. But I guess the one of the key points that came out of that was sustainability meant different things to different people. Everyone had a different idea in their mind of what that term meant. Um, Probably reducing environmental impact was rated as the most important factor when they thought about a sustainable diet. Um, And nearly 90% of our respondents said that was the most important factor. And then that was followed by um, waste reduction, provision of uh, nutritious foods, access to affordable foods, And then when we asked them, and this is dietitians obviously, asked if they have personally changed what they eat or drink in an effort to be more sustainable, nearly 90% said they had made dietary changes for reasons of sustainability and about two-thirds have actually reduced intake of certain foods and that generally was around packaging or processing was sort of the key thing that people looked at to try and change but also animal-based foods including red meat and dairy were things that had been reduced um, to try and eat more sustainably and to a lesser extent they talked about consuming more things like fruit and vegetables, but it was definitely a reductionist type idea. So, you know, they're just some of our findings. Do you think they sort of resonate with you in terms of what discussions you've had amongst dietitians and also maybe what the general public view about Hmm. sustainability and diets?
2: Yes, look, I've I've looked at the the survey results, and it doesn't surprise me that dietitians, I think, on on most thought about uh, thought about what sustainability means in a broader way. Um, I suspect the results of a survey on the general public would be very very different to this. So, you know, it doesn't surprise me that dietitians were a little bit broader read on this, had thought about it probably a bit more, and and still. Um, recognize the the importance of the provision of nutritious foods, but also interestingly, and I think we should we should really keep that top of mind. It is about that affordability as well because mm. that so often slips under the net. Um, I'm asked all the time about particular ways of eating. And I always bring this up about we've got to make sure that the diet that we're advising is still affordable to most people. It can't be just the elite who are the worried well, who probably don't need our advice so much anyway, uh, you know, who then tend to be making particular dietary choices. So so that side of it didn't. But what didn't uh, surprise me? But what, I, what concerned me a little bit was that dietitians are still making some of the mistakes um, that the general public are making. And, and I suppose I shouldn't be surprised by that because this is the information that's coming out in the media and we are as susceptible uh, as anybody yes. to, to, to what we're told in the media. Um, so that idea, and I've long, even you know prior to the work I've done over the last year or so, um, long was just had in my head that this is a little bit too simplistic to say eat less animal food and eat more plant food. You know, that doesn't solve the problem of soil erosion, of water use, of land, you know, enough land to grow plants, of what is suitable to grow on particular areas of 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 farming, um, of, of land. And, and, you know, there's so many other aspects to this and transportation of food and nutrition and so on. So, you know, of course we can do, you know, every dietitian knows that you can put together a healthy vegetarian, uh, a vegan diet you can put together with the aid of a, a few chose choice supplements. So, yes, of course we can do it. But, you know, to my mind, with my nutrition hat on, putting aside ethics and all of those other discussions for another time, um, there is no doubt that you meet nutrient requirements more easily if you combine animal and plant foods. And when you really start digging into the sustainability um, uh, models you know, it's, it's not as easy to say swap the animal food for the plant food. It, it doesn't work that way. And and actually, you know, from the work I've done and read and looked at is, is that actually we can have a sustainable
1: and nutritious diet that incorporates both. So our message, if we're talking to clients, for example, should not be as simplistic as just eat less of these foods and that's a sustainable diet.
2: Absolutely not, because I fear that by doing that, we've really got to look at what are they replacing those foods with. Um, And, you know, animal products tend to be, if they're if they're good, whole food animal products, like, you know, dairy foods like milk and yogurt, cheese. um, we've got eggs, we've got meat and and seafood and so on. These foods tend to be very nutrient dense foods. So if we take them out of the diet, it becomes very difficult to replace all of those nutrients and to get people eating adequate amounts. And I know Darius. Australia are obviously sponsoring our our podcast today. But, you know, dairy is a really good example of that, where when you swap out dairy, uh, and we see this in the Australian dietary survey data, when people cut out dairy or they limit dairy foods, they are not replacing it with other equally high calciums, the clear nutrient, but there are other nutrients there of concern too. But even just using calcium as our model, they do tend to then end up being low in calcium, they're not replacing it. Whereas perhaps other cultures where dairy foods are not not so prominent. They're not accustomed, they're not accustomed to getting their calcium from dairy. They are actually including other foods that are giving them their calcium. They perhaps are eating sardines with the small bones, or you know they're they're using uh, calcium rich teff in Africa, for example, in Ethiopia. That's teff is a, a grain that happens to be particularly high in calcium. So there's there's other ways that these particular cultures are getting calcium. So we've got to be really careful, and this is where this is such an interesting space for dietitians to get involved in because we should really have a voice here about helping people to understand if you think about reducing or swapping out one food whether it be for sustainability reasons or for any other reason you've got to take care that the food you're replacing it with or foods that you're replacing with are going to give you those nutrients that your body needs.
1: And I think that leads nicely into this research that's been published recently by Brad at CSIRO and Looking at that combination of nutrients and sustainability. Um, Can you sort of talk us through a bit more detail and what they did and how they did it?
2: Yeah. So let me sort of try, and it's a very complex piece. I I tried reading it. But let me try and kind of simplify it as much as I can. But I do encourage all dietitians listening, I do encourage you to to have a look and have a read yourself and really try and and digest it. And uh, sorry, forgive the pun. (laughs) (laughs) Dietitians talking about digesting it. Um, But yeah, it's a really interesting paper because what he has done um, is he's tried to combine a a previous environment index that he's done previously. And I think we've talked about that before, Jane, along with his new nutrient rich food index. So the nutrient Rich Food Index to sort of give you a snapshot is really looking at uh, key nutrients. Now I should say it doesn't include absolutely everything, but it does include eight vitamins, eight minerals. It's got everything that has an estimated average requirement in our dietary guidelines or in our, our, in our dietary recommendations in our NRV. So, so it's got eight vitamins, eight nutrients, and then it also includes things that we know we eat too much of, like added sugars or free sugars. Um, it doesn't include stuff like saturated fat. I thought that was, that was a really good call because uh, there, there are complexities around the, you know, the food that contains the saturated fat and so on doesn't contain things like sodium but cleverly what they've tried to do is weight the different nutrients um based on whether they're overconsumed or underconsumed by australians so this is what i mean by it being very localized so that we understand and actually we've already mentioned calcium calcium was at the top of the list they're scoring really highly that lots of australians are going short on calcium so it rates very very highly um, and we we need to ensure that people are getting enough zinc was another one that came up there quite highly especially for men, because they have higher requirements than women. And they also try, what's interesting about the paper is that it's very specific both to men and women, and it can be applied across different age groups, which allows us to to apply it to different nutrient needs as we go through life. Um, it's not been done for children. This is just for adults over 18. So it's a tool that sort of tries to combine, and there's been various profiling mechanisms done, um, various ways of trying to define nutrient density of foods around the world. But this is the first one that's really been applied to Australia and to Australian intakes using, um, you know, nutrition uh, survey data directly from our own population. So then what he's cleverly done is both use that information to compare different foods, but then combined it with his previous environment index environmental impact index, which then allows him to to give kind of a score that takes into account the nutrition of the food and the ability of that food to help us to meet our nutrient requirements, essentially, combined with its sustainability score, its environmental score, so that we can then more directly compare foods, taking all of those things into account. So the paper actually gives a good example of comparing a plant-based milk with a regular dairy milk. And we can see um, that, you know, plant-based milks cannot match on a nutrient basis if we only look at nutrition. There's absolutely no doubt dairy milks, even a flavored sugared, added dairy milk are head and shoulders above the plant-based milks. And that makes sense to us as dietitians. We know that plant-based milks really have to be fortified to match the calcium of dairy milks. But even when we look at other nutrients, they really don't score as highly. I mean, these are these are processed foods at the end of the day. They have to be combined with multiple ingredients uh, to make them. It's, it's not the same as a whole food um, like milk. So it's understandable the nutrition would be less. But even when we add in the sustainability model, you know, uh, the the overall taking into account nutrition and sustainability, um, milk is still coming out really, really well. And the only one that came out more than that uh, because of its environmental score was fortified oat milk. So fortified oat milk nails it on the environmental factor. It's a very sustainable food for us to consume, but it's only doing reasonably well on nutrition because of the added calcium. If you have unfortified oat milk, then it, you know, it falls to the back of the pack. So I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. And even when we take into account, you know, it's scoring well for both nutrient, um, sorry, for nutrition and for environmental factors, except that really that you, the nutrient score is really coming from the added calcium. So it's not getting all of those other nutrients that we know are present in dairy milk. And then the last factor that it pulls into play is affordability. And, you know, oat milk and other plant milks are much more expensive than dairy milk. And we have to take that into account when we're looking at average Australian families, families trying to feed, you know, everybody on a budget. Um, you know, it, it's pretty hard to compete with regular Dairy milk, so that's what the paper is is really interesting in that it's taking all of those factors into account, not allowing us to simply compare, you know, one food with another solely based on one index. It's pulling in multiple factors to give us a much more interesting picture and a much more realistic picture of what what these food swaps might might mean for an individual.
1: So, a dietitian uh can have a look at this paper and get an idea of individual foods and how they rate because i guess we have tended to maybe talk dietary patterns but um, this actually does give us some insight. so if people are swapping out foods you can look at what impact that has both on environmental and nutritional and affordability scale is that right
2: Yes, exactly. And and look, the paper doesn't go into every single, um, you know, every single food. It's, it's actually using the dairy versus plant based milk as one good example. But there's also graphs on just comparing protein rich foods, for example. So you can compare eggs with lamb and beef and, and chicken and what that means for both men and women. And you start to see which foods uh, can be major contributors to the nutrient intake of of an individual, and then how can we weigh that up? So, so what we know, and and you know, I've had the opportunity to to um, speak with Brad and and host and facilitate a, a webinar with with him and and other scientists, and understanding his previous work also lets us see um, an impact into the way that we need to be thinking about foods in terms of total diets as well, not just comparing one food with another. So, I think the next step with this sort of indexing, is to then be able to apply it to total diets. So, you know, it might be it's, it's it's the wrong approach to be thinking I should choose oat milk or any other plant milk instead of dairy because that's more environmentally friendly, but then not be thinking about the total diet and where am I getting all of those nutrients from? Um, am I making other choices that would, would actually make a bigger impact on the environment while still allowing me to meet my nutrient needs. So I think what Brad's work is showing is that actually, you know, the two things stuck in my mind from from my interview with him was that actually we're kind of going down the wrong path there, swapping one food for another, when the biggest thing we could be doing is eating for our needs, eating closer to the dietary guidelines and not overeating and limiting our food waste. And those are the things that we really need to be focusing on. So that's a great way of dieticians starting to really impress that upon whether you work in a public sphere or whether you're doing one-on-one consultations, we've really got to be pushing the fact that limiting your food waste is going to have a much bigger impact on your environmental footprint from the foods that you're eating than swapping out your dairy milk for for, um, a plant-based milk or cutting down on your meat and and eating a highly processed (laughs) plant-based burger or plant-based meat instead. So, you know, I, th- I, th- I think we've all got to be able to step back, take our blinkers off and look at the big picture instead of this kind of real kind of, um, you know, needling into individual foods too much.
1: I feel like it's a little bit of history repeating itself. We have a tendency to do this food swap, no matter what the topic is, isn't it? Like we have gone through the low fat, everything, just swap out high fat for low fat and diabetes, just swap out sugar and have, you know, sweeteners. Like we always seem to do this um, as a knee jerk reaction to whatever the latest research findings are. And you think we've learned our lesson by now that we need to look more broadly (laughs) than one food. I know. And look, it's difficult because that's what people ask us. Yes. what's the better
2: choice? So, you know, we kind of get put on the spot a little bit as dietitians. Well, tell me which one's the better one, which one's the better one. And and it's really difficult to, you know, and this is where our job really comes into play to encourage people to go, well, actually, you know what, here's the bigger picture. This is what you could be doing that would really actually drive your car a bit less. Yes. That's going to yes. have a massive impact. <laughs> you know, walk that five minutes down to the shop to pick up your milk or your loaf of bread um, rather than, than taking your car. Those things are going to have a massive, Massive impact um, rather than fixating on the, on the small stuff. But, but it's really hard not to do that, particularly when we're asked about it. So, you know, to, to me as dietitians, what we have to do is keep bringing nutrition back into play. Because um, ultimately, what we want is people having really nutritious diets. And if we can keep emphasizing that if you cut down on junk food, you're cutting down. This is food that both has a big environmental impact and it has a very low nutrient density. Plus, it tends to come with a lot of plastic packaging, high processing, you know, all sorts of other environmental costs there. Um, and then stuff that we have to deal with at our end what happens to all that packaging? Is it going in landfill? Are you putting it in your recycling bucket, et cetera? So, there's all of those things on top of that. Um, if we can encourage people to eat less junk food, eat closer to the dietary guidelines, actually, I love it when stuff comes together. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, and i'm not having to compete with the advice i give because actually if we stick to doing a good job as a dietitian getting people eating closer to our closer to our dietary guidelines if for those of us who are involved in in pushing the, the changes to the, in the reviews of dietary guidelines can start to make sure that they stay abreast of the science and i i, I completely um, concur with those pushing for environmental factors being brought into Um, our dietary guidelines in the review process that's underway. So if we trust that that review process keeps updating our dietary guidelines, and that's our job as dietitians, if we can push people towards closer eating to that, less junk food, limit food waste, actually we're in a pretty good position. And then the rest of the sustainability work in terms of food systems actually comes down to what is done working with farmers, with food producers and with every step along the way in terms of transporting food, what's being done in the supermarket and the grocers and so on. And that stuff is starting to happen. I mean, it's been one of the things I've really enjoyed learning about with Dairy Australia is the sustainability framework they've actually had in place since 2012. And I know when they first came to me with, with um, uh, some involvement in, in what's going on and facilitating some of their workshops, I was astounded and I was Thought. Wow. Why are they not talking about this? I was not even aware. And I work with industry. You know, I didn't. I was unaware that this framework was already in place um, uh, for ten years. So they're, you know, they're now talking about it more. But what's really nice about it is, and I'm encouraging every industry to now do the same, including the the olive um, oil industry that I work very closely with, is to actually have these different areas of sustainability that they focus on. So for dairy, you know, they've got animal welfare in there. They've got the 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 welfare of the the farming communities that are producing our food at the end of the day, they are part of the sustainable system as well as, you know, the water use and the soil use and and, and all of the other aspects are involved in agriculture, the energy use and so on. So if every industry does that, then we start at the consumer at the end of the day we're already consuming more sustainable products. I'm already buying a yes. carton of milk that has been produced in a more sustainable way compared to the way that it might have done in the past. So, you know, it's when we combine all of those things that I think we start to can make real inroads into to what is done. And, and for us as consumers and for us advising as dietitians, just simply eating less animal food and more plant food is is really not going to cut it.
1: No. So if we think a bit more about the dietitian who might be in one-on-one type consultations Um, and you talked about the general advice is um, to you know perhaps reduce um, or look at their processed foods look at their junk foods Mm. but are there any other tips you have for dietitians about how they communicate all the message about sustainability and nutrition to their clients
2: Yeah, well, I think the the first thing is to bring it up. You know, I think clients would appreciate that too. So our job is is both to educate, but to facilitate too. So I think we have to make sure that we're correcting any any misunderstandings, um, making sure that we're totally abreast of the science and understanding what it is that we can do. And then just making sure that the clients then have that correct advice and that they're not ignoring their nutrition simply on the basis of something they've read about that they ought to not have that steak and they should have this other food instead. So I think really, and, and this is where our skill as being a good practitioner comes into play, where it's very important that we don't just sort of sit on our high horse and tell people what to do, but that we really, really try to facilitate and understand what are what's someone's nutritional needs, um, how can we make those in the most sustainable way, and how can we help them to facilitate that, making sure that the end diet that we're recommending is culturally appropriate and here in Australia we have so many different nationalities and, and cultures um, living within our country so we've got to make sure that the foods are familiar they're affordable they're culturally appropriate um, and that the end diet is still meeting nutritional needs so and and and, and that's our that's our that's our challenge um uh, but it's also our advantage that we can talk about all of these very different things. Um, and so to me, the most important thing for dietitians is that we emphasize that whole eating to energy needs and minimizing food waste and making sure that they understand that, that foods like meat and seafood and dairy and eggs can all be included in a sustainable food system because they're really important for meeting nutrient needs. But here's how to do it while ensuring your overall diet is, is, is meeting these sustainability
1: uh, targets. Yeah, and we will put a link um, in the show notes with this podcast to the paper so that dietitians can go and have a look at it and take the time to understand um, the concepts here that have been introduced so everyone can and have a look and, and learn a bit more about this, this area. Um, and I think, you know, as dietitians, the last thing, let's face it, Diet is such a guilt-ridden thing, isn't it? Like people are just made to feel guilty all the time about anything. And if you can explain the way that they can have a really varied diet and still be conscious of sustainability, then that's going to be really positive um, in your messaging um, to, to them. And now, as you say, like this is just another reason to eat the way we've been recommending for so long, basically, which is varied, yeah. less processed, all those sorts of things. We now know it's good for the env- you know we can be good for the environment. We know that it's good for gut health. There's so many things that are added reasons for following this kind of dietary pattern. um it's Oh really, yeah, important. absolutely.
2: And I think actually, Jane, you 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 raise a really important point there about making sure that we keep things very positive. You know, I'm always one for really promoting the pleasure of food, and it should be a it should be a wonderful part of our life, not something that we eat. Uh, have to stress about even more people have got enough to be anxious and and stressed about particularly in the, with you know world events at the moment so really i think us make keep making sure that we keep food as a very positive force in life and an enjoyable part of life um then that is that's that's part of the role of of us as dietitians
1: yes absolutely so from all this complex and complexity and i think you've distilled it down really nicely for us but what do you think are the key takeaways from, from the paper?
2: For me, the takeaways are really, and, and forgive me for um, repeating myself, but I'm just trying to summarize this. It is not always the best choice to choose a plant food over an animal food. That is not even the most sustainable choice. It ha- It is more complex than that. So understand the complexity, both of nutrition and nutrient density, as well as whatever the environmental impact might be of that food. So understand those two things. And then if we bring them together, understand that the biggest impact we can make in terms of us choosing a more sustainable diet is by reducing our junk food intake, eating more whole foods to our needs. Um, So eating closer to the dietary guidelines and minimizing our food waste. Those are the things that are going to make the the biggest impact. And when you make a, a, a choice, if you make a choice solely based on sustainability, you might be downplaying and and actually um, getting less bang for your buck in terms of nutrition. If you choose solely on nutrition, then possibly you're not making the best sustainability choice so it's only when we bring those two things together and that's what this paper and brad's uh, brad and his team are trying to do and it's and it's given us a really good foundation that i think will be built on moving forward it gives us a much better indication of what are the sorts of foods that are going to be really good Um, and and to me the the findings are not surprising they're actually reinforcing what we would have thought as dietitians that although a plant-based milk for example might be a more sustainable choice and not always, you know, uh, not all of them come out equally, but oat milk seemed to be the one that came out best. Nutritionally, it falls far short of dairy. So if we can see a way to include dairy, inappropriate amounts in our diets, by making some other choices, then we hit both nutrition and sustainability at the same time. And that's what we're ultimately after.
1: Well, thank you so much for your time today, Joanna. You've really helped us um, Get through this paper as a top level. Um, But as I said, everyone should go and have a look at it themselves. And I'm sure there's a lot of additional information that will help us to understand this really complex area. And um, probably this time next year there'll be a whole lot of new information out there for us to try and um, add to this. So um, as I said, we'll put a link to the research paper and Thank you, um, Joanna, and thank you, Dairy Australia, for supporting today's podcast. Thanks very much.
0: Thank you. To get all of the links and resources we discussed in this episode, you can go to dietitianconnection.com podcasts. And if you'd like to support the Dietitian Connection podcast, please leave a review and a rating on the Apple Podcasts app. Tell us what you thought of this episode, what you learnt, and share your guest requests for us to consider for future episodes. We value hearing from you, and we really appreciate your feedback. So please, please hit that review button.